All right, good morning. All right, I'm going to tell you a story that I heard before, and I just think it's a great story. There once upon a time was an old lady, and she was driving through a parking lot trying to find the perfect parking space for herself as she is going to, um, going to go to the store. And she's older, so she doesn't want to have to walk a really long ways. But on this particular day, as she was driving through the parking lot, every single spot was taken. And so she's driving in and out, up and down, every single aisle, just trying to find a parking space. And then eventually she comes across an available space. In fact, it's not quite available yet. They have the, the, guy, the guy just got in and the brake lights are on. You know how you do that? Right? And so she saw like, oh, that space is about to be empty. So she did what we all do in that moment. And she pointed her car like toward that space and put her blinker on in order to indicate to everybody in the parking lot, like, that's my space. I'm going to take that space as soon as he gets out of it. So she did, and she's waiting there for her turn, and the guy that's in the space pulls, you know, backs out, and then goes into drive, and then drives off, and in the amount of time it takes for him to park out like that and, and go off, another car from the other direction sneaks in and takes the spot, right? It was very obvious, she was pointed at the spot, blinker on, and the person sneaks in, takes the spot away from her, and then the guy gets out of the car and kind of smiles over at her. Well, she gets so upset, she opens the door and she gets out and she goes, young man, that was my parking space. You can't do that. And he says, oh, yes, you can when you're young and fast and then walks over to the store. Well, she puts her car, she gets back in her car, puts her car in reverse, backs it up a little bit, puts it in drive and then just slams it into his and then puts it in reverse and goes back again and then puts it in drive again and slams it into his again. Well, of course, he can hear the commotion behind him and he turns around and he looks and he goes, oh, lady, that's my car. You can't do that. To which she replies, oh, yes, you can when you're old and rich. Now, I love that story. I think that's great. You know, you can't help but root for the lady, even though that's, I'm sure, illegal. Um, <laughs> so, um, but one thing is, it brings up the topic of what we're talking about today, okay? Proverbs uh, chapter, part, part 20 of our series, um, rich and poor is what we're going to be talking about today. And there are multiple Proverbs that actually talk about the advantages of wealth. And so we're going to continue on in our series talking about rich and poor. And when I looked it up this week, I'll just so you know, um, there are so many proverbs on this topic. There are so many proverbs on money, wealth, poverty, like all these like kind of related topics of saving and giving. And there's so many proverbs on the topic of money and riches and poverty. I identified, well, over 50 of them. I think maybe it was over 60 of them that I typed out onto a piece of paper when I was just trying to isolate the money proverbs from all the rest of them and just read through just the proverbs that are on money. So there are, there are over 50 proverbs that are on this topic, and I realized that there's no way to get to all of it in this one sermon. And so I'm probably going to do another sermon on this topic or on a similar topic next week. I haven't decided for sure yet, but probably we'll do a sermon on a similar topic uh, next week. But for today, today will be an introduction to the topic, and we can start with some of the big concepts in the book of Proverbs, big concepts that come up multiple times. If you read through the book of Proverbs, there are a few things that you will notice that like, the Proverbs just talk about them over and over and over again, and sometimes saying the same kind of thing over and over again. So we're going to look at some of the big concepts having to do with um, rich and poor in the book of Proverbs. And one of the things I want you to know that I noticed as I read through them this week was some of the money proverbs almost seem to contradict some of the other money proverbs um, when you, at, at first glance. 
It's something that you might not notice if you just read through the book of Proverbs, because they're all mixed in with all the other ones. But if you just, just take just the Proverbs about money and read them all in one sitting, all together, you notice that some of them seem to say something different, almost something opposite of what another proverb, somewhere else in the book of Proverbs, it says. And so I wanted to actually address that first before we even jumped into what does this verse mean and what does that verse mean. I wanted us to first just talk about what do you do if you come across a proverb that seems to contradict or say something very different than another proverb. What do we do about that? Let me show it to you, okay? Proverbs chapter 10. You can turn there if you have a Bible. If not, it's going to come up on the screen. It will come up on the screen whether you have a Bible or not. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, starting in verse 4. This, I think, is a very straightforward verse, so you should be able to interpret it just fine. Look at what it says. It says, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Okay, And then the next proverb is the next one, which I'll get to in a second. But let's just start with the first one. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Seems pretty straightforward. Idle hands means hands that aren't doing anything, right? It's a metaphor for laziness right? People who aren't doing anything, people who are lazy, people who are not working, it makes you poor. But diligent hands, again, a metaphor, that means hardworking hands, hardworking people, what happens? It brings riches. Now, if that's all we had were just that proverb, even just from that little bit, we could probably figure out that it's bad to be lazy and be poor, and it's good to be um, working really hard and bringing riches in. But the next proverb, I think, really makes that clear. Because the one right after it says, the son who gathers during summer is prudent, and the son who sleeps during harvest, harvest is disgraceful. Well, who is the son who gathers during the summer? I think it's the same thing as the diligent hands that bring riches. It's the same thing, right? And and in this passage, it doesn't just say that the guy gets rich, right? The first passage you could imagine, like, well, maybe it's good to be poor. Maybe it's not good to be rich. But the next passage says, no, the son who gathers during summer is not just, it's not just that he gets riches for his hard work, it's prudent, it's wise. And then the son who sleeps during harvest, well, what's that? That's the equivalent of idle hands. Okay? The son with the idle hands, the one who's sleeping during his harvest is what? He's not just poor. It's disgraceful. So then you go, okay, I think I understand Proverbs' position on this. Proverbs chapter 10 teaches that we should not be lazy and be poor and be disgraceful, but rather we should work hard, right? And, and be wise, and being by, the way that we are wise is by working hard and gathering during the summer and bringing in riches. So Proverbs chapter 10, work hard, get riches. Then you get to Proverbs 23, and it says, this is verse 4 of Proverbs 23, don't wear yourself out to get rich. What? I could have swore I was just supposed to be working hard to get rich, like it said it. And now it says, don't wear yourself out to get rich, stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. So Proverbs 10 says, work hard, get riches, and then you get to Proverbs 23, and it says, don't work too hard, right? Matter of fact, don't even worry about riches. They're temporary. Okay. (laughs) Which one is it, Solomon? And so that's what I want to address first. I think that big idea that I'm now presenting to you is the first thing we should tackle, because if we don't get that, if we don't understand what do I do when I've got a proverb that says one thing over here and it seems to say something very different over here, if we don't handle that, if we don't understand what to do about that, I think we could make a mess of the book of Proverbs. So what do we do? Here's what I'm going to do. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to remind you of something that I've already said throughout the series, I think multiple times. But I need to say again, because there are new people coming here all the time, and we're glad. Hey, welcome. Welcome, new people. I'm glad you're here. But I realize because of that, there are certain things I just said eight, nine, ten weeks ago that I'm going to have to say again. So let me remind you of this. The book of Proverbs was well-named, okay? 
the book of Proverbs is a list of Proverbs. It is not a list of promises. It is not a list of laws. It is not a list of scientific facts. It is not a list of commands. These are lists of these little truths, usually one sentence or two sentences, and they teach you the way the world works. Okay? They're little, little bits of truth that teach us how the world ordinarily works. It does not mean that there are never, ever any exceptions or that every single proverb is always supposed to be applied to every single situation all the time, no matter what. You can read Proverbs and start to see that there are exceptions. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 again, if we put it up on the screen. Okay, we can say, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands brings riches. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Are there ever exceptions? Yes. There are times when people have diligent hands and they work really hard, and then something happens, like a famine comes. And they don't have riches, even though they worked really hard. That happens. Idle hands make one poor. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. But you could say, well, but wait, but I, my cousin knows a guy that knows a guy who was super lazy and he won the lottery. Doesn't that happen, Mario? Yes, it does. It does happen. That doesn't change the fact that when you observe this world, what is ordinarily true is idle hands make one poor and diligent hand brings riches. That is... If you work really hard, there is usually something to show for it. If you don't, then there's nothing to show for it because there was no it. That's what's normally true. Okay, so we need to understand that when we look at Proverbs, we need to understand that they were for certain situations, not every single possible situation. Okay, they are generally, um, generally true because they're about the way the world ordinarily works. Or maybe a better way to say it would even be this, that the Proverbs are absolutely true for the situations they were written for, okay? It's not like, well, they're kind of true. No, they're absolutely true for the situations that they were written for. So let's just say there's a guy in Ocala, modern day time, he's living here, and he um, is living his life where pretty much all day, every day, he watches YouTube videos and plays video games. He can hardly ever hold down a job, he gets fired from his jobs for not working hard, or sometimes he quits because that was like all day working. And so he just is home a lot, and he's playing video games, and he's watching YouTube videos, and I mean, in, the, in the video games, the characters are progressing quite well. I mean, it's going well. There's like a lot of stuff going on. He's building up the characters very well. And meanwhile, his family is falling apart. He's not working. He's not bringing any money in. He's just playing around all the time, maybe occasionally stops playing video games to fish on the weekends. And his wife is trying to hold down a part-time job and she's trying to keep things working, but it's not working. And they're about to get kicked out of their apartment and their car is about to be repossessed and his wife and his children, like they are suffering as he works on getting up to the next level. And you know what that guy needs to hear? He needs to hear, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. And then you can imagine another guy, completely different guy, also living in Ocala. And he works so hard. He works so hard that there are people who say, like, you should stop working so hard. And he goes, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And he already has, I mean, he has, his diligent hands have brought about lots of riches. He already has like two or three million dollars, but he needs more dollars, at least in his mind. And so he keeps working and he's working very hard, but to the detriment of his marriage, to the detriment of his family, his kids, and his relationship with his kids are in tatters. 
he's working to the detriment of his spiritual life. He's working to the detriment of his physical health because he doesn't have a rest because there's more money to be made and more stuff to get done. You know what that guy needs to hear? That guy needs to hear, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. You're pouring your whole life into something that's way more temporary than you realize. And there'll come a day when you have something like incurable cancer and you realize you only have a few months to live and you'll be thinking back on your life and there's no way you're going to be thinking about different decisions you could have made to make more dollars. You won't be thinking that then. You'll be thinking about non-financial stuff then. And so Proverbs is absolutely true for the situations it was written for. And I wanted to start off with that. I wanted to start off with that because you, we're going to come across Proverbs that say one thing and then to come across some Proverbs that say another thing. Well, what do we do with that, right? In fact, I'm going to read you some Proverbs today. And for some of you, depending on your you know, perspective and stuff, I think that some of the Proverbs I read today are going to sound a little Fox Newsy to some of you. And some of the Proverbs I read today are going to sound a little CNN-y to some of you, okay? I'm going to read some Proverbs, and like, for instance, we're going to come across some Proverbs that say things like, laziness leads to poverty. And some of you are going to hear that and go, amen, that is right, just like Sean Hannity says, okay? And then I'm going to read to you, some, some of you, I'm going to read some Proverbs that talk about the importance of giving to the poor, and why it's a big deal that people who have more than they need give to people who have less than they need. And there are going to be people that read that and go, that's right, we need to read Proverbs to those greedy capitalists, okay? And what I'm hoping will be true is I'm hoping that all of you will listen to all of the verses today, not just the ones that you, like, would already agree with. Okay, so as we learn Proverbs, I guess what I'm trying to let you know is today in this sermon, I'm going to try to do something that is different than other sermons, instead of focusing on one topic, which is something you could, like, instead of focusing, just doing a sermon on laziness, or just doing a sermon on helping the poor, which, is, which would not be wrong to do. I have done a sermon just on laziness, and I have preached a sermon just on helping the poor, but that's not what I'm doing today. What I'm going to try to do today is to show you multiple proverbs from multiple angles on this, multiple proverbs on wealth and poverty, in an effort to paint for you like a really big picture, a more whole picture of what God says about wealth than any one topic would, would allow us to do. That makes sense? Yeah, I hope it is awesome. Thank you for saying that. All right, with all that said, here we go. That was a big, big old introduction. Now here's my first actual point. All right, point one. In Proverbs, riches aren't inherently sinful and poverty isn't considered good. So I'm just start off with that. Real basic, real simple, but we need to start somewhere. In Proverbs, riches aren't inherently sinful and poverty isn't considered good. It seems to me most of the times that Proverbs talks about poverty, it's obviously a bad thing to be avoided. Um, and riches aren't considered to be a bad thing throughout the book of Proverbs. At least that's what it seems like to me. I say that, um, you, you might say, well, I kind of already knew that. But the reason I bring it up right at the beginning is there are passages in the New Testament that talk about the corrupting influence of wealth. And it is important to understand that. And I think if all you knew were just the New Testament passages about the corrupting influence of wealth, that's the only thing you knew in the whole Bible, it's possible that you might think money is one of those things that I just need to get away from it as much as possible, like as little, as little access to money as, as I can. But when you go back to Proverbs, you go back to 3,000 years ago and look at what they were teaching their people in ancient Israel, it seems to me that Proverbs, and I'm going to show this to you, riches are not considered inherently sinful on the, all on their own. 
Let me show this to you. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. I love, love this verse. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. Um, I think the point of this proverb is something I'm not going to focus on today, but maybe if I do a sermon on money next week, we'll come back to this one. Because I, I actually think this is a proverb about saving, the importance of saving. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. It seems like the difference between the wise man and the foolish man here isn't whether they had any access to treasure and oil. Apparently they both did. But one of them consumed them, and the other one didn't. So it's in his house. That makes sense? So the foolish person, what, why doesn't he have any wine? Why doesn't he have any oil? Why doesn't he have any food? Why doesn't he have any stuff? Because he spent it all, because he drank it all, because he ate it all, right? That's, that's why he's a fool. And the wise man, what did he do? He did not consume it all. So he's got treasure and oil in his house. Okay, so I love this verse, but my point in bringing it up this morning is not to tell you to save. Um, my point in bringing it up this morning is just to show you in this proverb, the wise man is the rich guy, right? The, the, the foolish man is the one who consumed everything and has nothing to show, and the wise guy is the guy who has treasure in his house. So the, the Bible doesn't treat riches like automatically like, well, it's bad if you have any. No, the wise man in this story has some. Um, also, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is a passage that people would, might go to to make this exact same point. I think it's helpful. Uh, I won't explain everything about these verses. We already taught on Proverbs chapter 3 earlier, but let me just remind you of what it said. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 9, says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. And then what will happen if you do? Look, then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. So God is telling the people to honor him, and the result is going to be what? He's going to bless them. And how is he going to bless them? He blesses them materially in this passage. That's what he's saying to these, these Israelites, right? That you will be blessed with stuff. So the riches that they're being blessed with is not a curse that God is putting on them. It's a blessing that God is putting on them because of their honoring him. So I start with that. Riches are not inherently sinful. Poverty isn't considered good. Now let's move on to point number two. In Proverbs, laziness is considered foolish and it leads to poverty. Throughout the book of Proverbs, and this is honestly, it is over and over and over and over again. In the book of Proverbs, laziness is talked about so many times. Refusal to work is considered a foolish behavior and it leads to poverty. Multiple Proverbs say this. I will just read you two sections that are on this, but there are lots. Uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 through 16, I will read. Now, this is interesting. This is four verses all in a row that are on laziness. So I'm going to go ahead and read all four of them one at a time. I'll explain them one at a time. Proverbs chapter 26, starting in verse 13. It says, the slacker says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the public square. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I guess I don't know for sure because it doesn't explain itself, but I think I do know. I think every single commentator that's ever commentated on this, or at least that I was able to look, okay, everybody agrees that basically this is a way of saying the lazy person will look for just about any excuse to not work. The lazy person, you're sitting there going, hey, are you going to go to work today? I'm not sure. I think I heard a lion out there. So we probably should stay in for a couple of days just in case. All right, whatever it means, here's the next verse. Verse 14, a door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. Now that one's very clear, isn't it? A door turns on its hinges and what does the slacker do? Back and forth, back and forth, rolling around, not working. Here's the next verse. This one's, so, this one's great. This next verse I think is hyperbole. Okay? It's like this super exaggerated situation, I think, in order to just mock 
laziness. Verse 15 of 26. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too weary to bring it to his mouth. I think this is a guy who's eating, and basically what it's saying is the guy who's lazy reaches into the bowl for food and then goes, oh, I think that's all I got in me right now. I think I need to just rest just a little bit right here, and then when I get my energy back, I will complete the motion so that I can eat it, right? That the guy is so lazy that his laziness is stronger than his desire for food, right? That he would have to take a break at a real weird time because he hasn't done, he hasn't done anything yet. Now, again, no one is that lazy in real life. It's an exaggeration. It's a hyperbole proverb, I'm almost sure. But that's what it's, it's trying to mock it. It's trying to say, come on now. And then look at verse 16, the next one. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. So you can have this guy who tests to take breaks every little bit and is always in bed and is pretending there's a lion outside. And yet, he thinks he's smarter than, he's seven times smarter than everybody else. His life's falling apart, he's in poverty, and then everybody, no, I don't need any feedback, I don't need any criticism, I don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life, I'm smarter than all of you. All right, one page back, Proverbs 24 also has a description of laziness, and I want you to see this one. These verses are all in a row, even though they're going to come up one at a time. This is all one little paragraph. Proverbs 24, verse 30 says, I went by the field of a slacker, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. So I went to the farm of a guy who's lazy, a lazy, foolish man. I went and looked at his farm. Look what he says, verse 31. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground, and the stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. What's he saying here? He's saying, I went over to this lazy guy's farm and I inspected it. I looked over at it and I noticed he hadn't been out in a while. He hadn't done any work in a long time. There were thorns and thistles growing up. There were plants that didn't have, they weren't like, there's no, there's no food that's going to come from this farm. There were things that were all overgrown. There were weeds shooting everywhere and, the, and the, the wall that's supposed to protect it had been broken down and you could tell it had been broken down for a while. And needed to get fixed, and nobody bothered fixing it. And he said, and when I saw that image in my mind, like when I looked at it, it taught me a lesson. What, did it, what lesson did it teach the guy? He, the lesson was, if I keep taking naps, if I keep taking breaks, if I keep sleeping in, if I keep saying, ah, just to take, put it off a little bit later, I'll do it later, I'm not gonna, I don't want to work today. If I keep doing that, I'm going to be in the same situation. My life will be in ruins. Now that's important stuff. And if we stopped right here in the sermon, first of all, it wouldn't be wrong. I think everything I've told you so far is true. And yet, if we stopped right here and we only learned those concepts and we only learned those proverbs, I think we would have to admit we only would have part of the painting on the canvas. There's more to it than that. See, if all we knew were just these proverbs, we might think that it's always good to be rich. Like, no matter what the other circumstances, like, rich is always good to be. And it's always bad to be poor. And if someone's poor, there's something wrong with them. And poor people just need to work harder. And our only responsibility to poor people is just to tell them to work harder. We could even maybe think that what this passage means, what these passages mean is that anybody who is rich is obviously wise and godly, like walking in God's wisdom. Why would we think that? Well, because it's the wise man that has precious treasure and oil in his house. 
And it's the result of honoring the Lord that causes the vats to overflow and the barns to be filled, right? And diligent hands bring riches. And so we might think that anyone who is rich must be wise and in, in God's path of wisdom, and yet some of you are smart enough to know. That can't be right. I mean, can that be right? No, no. So we need more points, don't we? We need more points. Okay, we need to add more paint to the canvas to finish up the painting. So let's look at some more Proverbs. I think some of these will give us some balance. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. This one's interesting. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. It says, Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Oh, well, that does, that is, does bring some balance, right? So this verse is saying apparently you can have great income because of some sort of injustice, not because you honored the Lord, not because of your diligent hands and your wise fear of the Lord. No, great income can be with injustice, and apparently you can be someone who is righteous and only has a little. That's good to know. Let's look at verse 28, chapter 28, verse 6. Very similar proverb. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better a poor man who lives with integrity than a rich man who distorts right and wrong. Okay. So I can be a rich man, and that does not mean I have integrity. Not automatically. I could be someone who's distorting right and wrong. And apparently I can be someone with integrity and be poor. Wait, if you have integrity, aren't you automatically rich? Apparently not, because it'd be better to have integrity and be poor. Makes me think that's a possibility, that you could have integrity and be poor rather than be the rich man who distorts right and wrong. And then Proverbs 15, verse 16. And it says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure with turmoil. So is it good to have treasure? Well, in the sense of diligent hands bring treasure, and the wise man has treasure and oil in his house, but you, there's, there's some other way to get treasure too. There's a way to have treasure with great turmoil. And in fact, you can actually have the fear of the Lord. You can have great treasure with no fear of the Lord, but there can be people who actually fear the Lord, and we talked about this already in this series. Fear of the Lord is kind of the equivalent of like worshiping the true God of the Bible. And apparently you can worship the true God of the Bible and have just a little. So being rich is obviously not the most important thing in the book of Proverbs. And in fact, and this is point three now, Proverbs assumes you can be poor and on the right path, and you can be rich and on the wrong path. Proverbs assumes that you can be poor and on the right path, and you can be rich and be on the wrong path. And the New Testament, I think, is very clear that you can be rich and on the wrong path. Okay, point four. God cares about the poor and wants people with money to be generous towards them. God cares about the poor and wants people with money to be generous towards them. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9 says, A generous person will be blessed. Why? For he shares his food with the poor. A generous, generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. He will give a reward to the lender. God will actually reward the person who cares for the poor. Now, at first glance, we could look at Proverbs like this and go, Well, I don't know, that doesn't seem to fit with the other Proverbs. These poor people that like, got their hands stuck in a bowl because they got to take another nap and they're pretending lions are outside and the weeds are growing and the, and the, the wall is breaking down. Right? Why in the world? If, why would we do something that would enable that behavior? 
right? If the poor are poor because they are foolishly and sinfully refusing to work, then why should we enable them, right? Uh-huh. That's a good question. It seems that Proverbs does not think that laziness is the only cause of poverty. This is very important to get, okay? Just because laziness causes poverty, that does not mean all poverty stems from laziness. This is real basic logic. Like, you need logic 101. You got to remember this, okay? Like, like um, all Honda Civics are cars, but not all cars are Honda Civics. You following? You can't just take a sentence with two nouns in it and just switch and go, it's still true, okay? So, poverty, laziness causes poverty. That does not mean all poverty stems from laziness. Now, hopefully you know this, but let me just show you an example in the Bible. This is a real obvious example that after I read it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, of course that's true. Okay, you're all going to agree with me after this. It's fantastic. So, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32. The writer of Hebrews is writing to these Christians. This is during the first century. This is during the time period of the Roman Empire. And I think, as best as I can understand, this is a time of, of persecution, that the Romans are persecuting people for being Christians. And so this is what he says in that, in that context. Hebrews 10, verse 32. He says, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, and I think enlightened is referring to like you came to know Jesus, like after you became a Christian and you, and you, you understood like the gospel. Remember the early days when after you'd been enlightened, now look what happened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions And other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners, perhaps with people who were thrown in prison for believing in Jesus and preaching about him. You sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the, now this is the part I want you to notice, what does it say? You accepted with joy the confiscation of your, what? Your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. I think the writer of Hebrew was saying, hey, remember when you first became Christians and it was so rough? Remember when you first became a Christian and then people started making fun of you? People started hitting you and people started like, saying mean things to you. Sometimes they, they made, said mean things and they were taunting the people that you were with. Remember how there were people being thrown in jail over this? Remember when they came and took your stuff? They confiscated your possessions and you said, that's fine because I have an enduring possession. Remember that? Now, I just want you to think through this. If their possessions had been confiscated, I think it's fair to assume this, that means they became poorer, right? They became poorer. Why? Because they were lazy? No, because they were faithful to Jesus and they were being persecuted. Poverty can be caused by laziness, but poverty can be caused by religious persecution. It can be caused by racism. It can be caused by sexism. It can be caused by injustice or government corruption or famine or betrayal or theft or death of a loved one, particularly a loved one who is the financial provider in the family. In fact, Proverbs specifically talks about God's concern for widows and orphans. It's actually, I would say, all throughout the Bible, but you see it in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 25. says this. The Lord destroys the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. Now, we've already in this series talked about pride and what God thinks of it. 
But look at the second half. He protects the widow's territory. Why? Why does he care about the widow? Because she was vulnerable. Probably more so in that culture even than in ours. She was financially vulnerable. She needed protection. And God cares about the vulnerable. Now let's look at orphans. Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 10. It says, don't move an ancient boundary marker and don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless. This first little part, don't move an ancient boundary marker, I, th- I assume that what that means is don't mess with the property lines. Don't do this thing where like I'll move the thing that marks the property lines in order to take more land for myself. Maybe no one will notice that I moved it. Okay, so don't mess with that. And then he says, and don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Why? For their redeemer is strong and he will take up their case against you. Now, I don't know exactly what situation you're supposed to picture here, but I'll tell you what I picture when I think about this. As a picture of a kid who's fatherless. His dad died at an age that was much younger than anyone thought he would die. And now you have this kid, I picture him to be 14. He's 14 years old, and suddenly he's in charge of the family farm. Dad died, and dad had showed him some stuff, but dad didn't think he was going to be like in charge this fast. And so now he's, he's having to learn on the fly, and he's having to figure this out, and it's very difficult. But he's got little brothers and little sisters, and now he's going, I, I didn't think I'd have to keep them all alive, but I guess it's my time now. And so he's doing the best he can, trying to figure this out. And I think what, I think what God is saying here is the people that are in that town that look over and notice it, you, you could look over and you could go, that kid does not have any clue what he's doing. We could easily take advantage of him. We could move the boundary marker and have this whole field be ours. He doesn't even know that that one belongs to, his, to him. You know, or we could do whatever it is. We could go in and start harvesting his stuff. He wouldn't even know. Like, what would he do about it? I think there are people that could look and go, wow, we could easily take advantage of that kid. And I think what this verse is saying is, don't mess with that kid. For their redeemer is strong and he will take up their case against you. They did have redeemers back then that were human redeemers, and I guess this could be referring to that. But the fact that it says, kind of acts like all of the fatherless have a redeemer who's strong makes me think that this is referring to God, which is why I think HCSB capitalizes the R there. But this verse may very well be saying, you look over and go, wow, we could easily take advantage of that kid. And God's saying, oh, don't take advantage of that kid. If you do, I will be so mad. And just so you know, I will be on his side of that fight. Why? Because God cares about the vulnerable. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. The one who is kind to the needy honors him. So let me go ahead and review the four points that we've done so far. All right. In Proverbs, riches aren't inherently sinful and poverty isn't considered good. In Proverbs, refusal to work or laziness is considered foolish and it leads to poverty. In Proverbs, riches are not the most important thing. And in fact, you can be poor and on the right path and you can be rich and on the wrong path. God cares about the poor and wants people with money to be generous towards them. And I think it's great that we got to learn all of those concepts and all of those Proverbs all on the same Sunday. Because I don't think we can solve the problems of this world if we ignore like half of the big themes of Proverbs or we take whole, like, whole chunks of Proverbs and things that are repeated over and over again and just go, oh, that doesn't resonate with me like these do. Like, let's say there's 10 verses that talk about helping the poor and 10, verse, 10 verses in Proverbs, 10 Proverbs that talk about laziness um, leading to poverty. 
that we can't just say like, well, I like these. That, like, that makes me, I'm good with these. And so I'm just going to kind of disregard those and this is the kind of Christian I'm going to be. And then someone else goes, well, I really resonate with these. Right? I'm good with this. Right? And I'm just going to disregard that. We, I don't think we can do that. You can't hang on to half and not the other half. If we ignore the help of the poor Bible verses and live in a world where we go, you know what, I do not care about your problem. I don't care if it's because you're lazy or because you were discriminated against or because your husband left you or because your dad died. I don't, I don't care. It's just work harder and deal with your own problems. That's not going to bring about the kind of world God wants. And yet, the other verses are important too. If we ignore laziness leads to poverty, pretend that that's not true, and just redistribute wealth without dealing with the issue, that's not going to bring about the society, the nation, the world that God wants. Whew, there's a lot more that could be said, but I'm almost out of time. So let me go ahead and end with just a fifth and final point. Point number five is this. One problem with money is that it can tempt us to trust in it instead of trusting in God. And this is something you see in the New Testament quite a bit. But I'm going to show you two Proverbs. One problem with money is that it can tempt us to trust in it instead of trusting in God. Proverbs 18, starting in verse 10, says, The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Luke Ferguson, earlier in the service, talked about the name of God and Yahweh, which is kind of the Old Testament name for God. But it's, I mean, it's the God of the whole Bible. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. What's the strong tower? The place that you go, the place that you run to, to be protected. Right? When the bad guys are coming, where do we go? We, we, we run to the tower and we're protected there. We're safe there. Well, what is the tower that we're supposed to run to? It's a metaphor, right? It's God. Our security is supposed to be found in God. He is who we run to when times are tough. He is the one that we find our security in. And if it wasn't pointed out to me, I don't even know if I would have noticed, but the very next proverb seems to be related to it, and they're not always. But the very next point, right after it says, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are protected. Look at the next one. A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it's like a high wall that the righteous run to God for their security, but there's a rich guy over there going, I don't need to run to the tower of God. I got my stuff. My stuff is my fortified city. My stuff is where my security is. I imagine it to be a high wall. I'll be fine. It's not, it's not the right way to go. In fact, I'll end with this one. This is the final proverb. Proverbs 11, verse 4 says, wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. I don't know what the original writer meant for sure. I know sometimes it's translated wealth is not profitable on the day of wrath, and it can easily make you kind of think about things in the New Testament and like the final days and the day of wrath or the day of God's judgment, and, and we can start to say wealth will be worthless on judgment day. And by the way, if that's what this verse means, that's completely true. But I don't know if that's what this means because in the Old Testament, they didn't have, it doesn't seem like they had a really good understanding of Judgment Day. It doesn't get talked about much in the Old Testament. The New Testament is much more clear on Judgment Day. So 3,000 years ago in ancient Israel, I'm not sure if they would have used the phrase Day of Wrath like that. It could very well be that this verse is just simply saying, your wealth, your money is going to be useless to you on the day of disaster. 
Like when the bad guys come to your town and they, they, they show up at your village and they kidnap all the women and children and set all the buildings on fire, it won't matter how many gold bars you had in your barn. It could very well be that that's what they meant. Although it does say righteousness rescues from death, which seems like something even bigger than life. So I'll just say this. If this does mean that in the midst of a disaster, who's going to care how many dollars you had? Okay, if that's true, I mean, that is true. And if it means that, it's true. But if it's true, then that principle certainly applies to the bigger picture. Wealth will be not profitable on the day of wrath. It's certainly true that if, if the dollars and the gold bars don't help us in the day of disaster, they will not help us on judgment day. When we stand before God, and we, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is there will be no person, like, like, like Jeff Bezos is not going to be able to show up on that day, and I don't know anything about him, so I don't care if you hate him or you're a fan. Like I'm not even making a point about him. I just know he's rich, and I'm using him as an example. Maybe he's a wonderful Christian or not. But let's just say he gets to judgment day and finds out that he needs to pay for his sins because he's not forgiven, he's not trusted in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, on that day, he will not be able to slip God a billion (laughs) and get in. That is not how it works. And you will not be able to do it with lesser funds, right? Wealth will be useless on that day. On that day, I'm telling you, all you're going to want to know is that you were in Jesus and that he died for your sins so that you were forgiven. And you trusted in him, and you belong to him, and he's your strong tower to save you from judgment. So Lord willing, we'll do more on this next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you. There's, there's so much, so much in your word about all this. I just pray you'd help us to apply it to our lives. And the ones of us that needed to hear multiple, almost competing thoughts all at the same time, I just pray that you would like, bless that and that it would be helpful to us to see whole picture. And for those of us that maybe don't need to see it all at the same time, but there's a particular, maybe a particular proverb we need to hear today. I pray that you would like, drill that proverb into our heart and into our mind. I pray for those of us in this room who are lazy, that you would help us to repent of it. I pray you'd help us to see it. It's probably hard to see. I would think that laziness is one of those sins that nobody thinks they have. It's real easy to see it in others. Like we know it exists. We see other people that we're sure are lazy. It's probably very hard to see it in ourselves. Maybe there are some people in this room who would say, I'm not lazy. I go to work every day. But maybe we put in like 50% effort every day. So we don't think we're lazy, but we do not do our work as unto the Lord. And so I pray you'd help us to do that, that we would work for you. I pray for those of us who are running and running and running hard after wealth, that you would remind us it sprouts wings and flies away one day, and you would help us to not run after wealth to the detriment of all of the things you say are more important than that first and foremost being you. We pray you'd help us not to overwork and overvalue money. Help us not to be caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth. It is so tricky, and that's probably another one that's really hard to see in ourselves, even if we can sometimes see it in others. It's hard to see how wealth has corrupted us, maybe especially in a nation that is so wealthy that we maybe look around and go, I don't think I'm corrupted, I'm like everybody else. (laughs) Maybe we all are. 
So I just pray you'd help us to turn from the wrong kind of pursuit of wealth. I pray you'd help us to not have false shame, to be worried, oh, I own things, should I feel bad? I pray that you'd help us, as we learn Proverbs, to know it's not sinful to have things. I pray you'd help us to work hard. I pray you'd help us to not judge people based on their wealth, that we would not look up to someone because they're rich or look down on someone because they're rich or look down on someone because they're poor or look up to someone because they're poor. But that we would realize there's, 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 that, that's not the thing by which we evaluate what matters. I pray you'd help us to help the poor and look out for the vulnerable and care for people who need our help. I pray you'd help us to not trust in wealth, but trust in you. I ask this on behalf of all of it, like on behalf of this church, will you please grant us that grace? Would you please help us to not trust in wealth, but trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name, our strong tower. Amen.